Good afternoon and welcome to today's class on today's Torah reading. Today we're going to talk about the main character of who this Torah reading is named after, which is Pinchas. So today is Monday, the 19th day of the month of Tammuz, and we are going to be learning about the Torah reading of Pinchas. Just recently, or a few months ago, I should say, in the news in Israel, there was the story about a fellow and the headlines was, Elijah the prophet saved my life. And what happened was there was this fellow who lived in Samaria and he went out to his little settlement to work with the ground and whatever he was doing there at the time to do his job. And all of a sudden he's attacked by four youngsters of Arabs from a nearby village. They beat it, the living daylights out of him, threw him down to the floor they were about to strangle him when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some older Arab came, chased those four Arabs away, and saved his life. He didn't know what happened, but three months later, the army was able to finally find those four terrorists, but that older Arab that saved his life was nowhere to be found. The person retelling the story says, this was Elijah the prophet that saved my life. Such type of stories and incidents have happened throughout the ages where people have attributed somebody that saved their life to some great mystery or mysterious angel. And of course, what did they name that angel? Elijah the prophet. Who is this Elijah the prophet? Who is this individual, this mysterious angel or messenger that has come to be the prophet or savior of many people or things around the time? Is he a person that's alive? Is he a spirit? Is he an angel? What is he? Going a step further, we even see that in the Talmud there are many different stories of something called Gilu Yaliyahu, the revelation of Elijah the prophet. The Medrash, the commentators of the Kabbalah are all filled with stories of Elijah the prophet, their holy Elijah coming to tell our secrets of the Torah. Whether it's Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, who's a great Talmudic scholar who had visits of, of Elijah the prophet and took him on his many journeys. Or Rabbi Isaac Luria the Arizal, who says that the Elijah the prophet studied with him the Torah. Or other great people throughout history that had some type of relationship with Elijah the prophet. And every single one of us, when it comes to the Seder night, we are visited by Elijah the prophet by a circumcision, by a bris, one of the first guests that we welcome is Elijah the prophet. We put the baby on Elijah's chair. So who is this Elijah the prophet? Where does he come from? Where does he show up from? What is his identity and where is he all about? And therefore, today we're going to analyze and talk about who is this Elijah the prophet? Where do we come about him? How do we merit him? And what else is he about? And is this Elijah the prophet a person? Is it an angel? Is it a spirit within every single one of us? And if we even take it a step further, we look at what Elijah the prophet is about, we'll see something else unique in the Talmud when it talks about Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet is going to be the one, Eliyahu Hanavi. Elijah the prophet is going to be the one to tell us about the coming of Mashiach. He's going to be the one to let us know, put us on notice that Mashiach is about to be here. Even another thing the Talmud tells us that all the difficult questions that the Talmud has no answer to, the Talmud says, you know who's going to answer all those questions? Elijah the prophet. Why Elijah the prophet? 
Why is he going to be the one to answer the questions? Shouldn't Moses, the one who taught people Torah, be the one to answer the questions? He shouldn't, he know the answers better than anybody else. Shouldn't Moses, the one that took the people out of Egypt, tell us about the exodus of the final redemption as well? Why Elijah the prophet? So in this week's Torah reading, as we discuss about the individual who is known as Pinchas, the name of the Torah reading, we will find out who this Elijah the prophet is. Because Pinchas, in fact, the Talmud tells us, is Elijah the prophet. They're the same person. And in the prophets where it talks about Elijah the prophet, it also tells us about Pinchas and Elijah being the same individual, interchangeable with their names. And the question that we're going to talk about or what we're going to analyze today is this mysterious individual. Who was it? And why did he merit to such great uh, identities? And how do we merit to that great identity? So this class we're going to analyze and discuss and try to find more about Elijah the prophet. Hasidic adage used to be that for Elijah the prophet we don't await, but actually we bring upon us. That every single one of us has to be a little bit of an Elijah the prophet, that the entire world should be like Elijah. They say a very famous story about once this individual wanted a merit to see Elijah the prophet. So he came to his Rebbe and he asked, Rebbe, I want a merit. What do I need to do to be able to see Elijah the prophet? So his teacher told him, you know what you should do? At the end of town, up on a mountain, there lives a widow with her seven children. Why don't you go and bring, him, bring her a wagon full of goodies in honor of the upcoming holiday of Rosh Hashanah? goodies of food and clothing that they should have to be able to celebrate Rosh Hashanah the way it's supposed to. And with that, you'll merit Elijah the prophet. He goes up to, he fills up a wagon full of stuff and brings it to the, to the home, drops it at the door and runs away. So like this, they have everything they need. Comes back to his Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, I still didn't see Elijah the prophet. He says, you know what? Before Yom Kippur said that they should be able to fast well, and they should be able to go into the holiday relaxed. Do the same thing again. He goes again, Yom Kippur drops off a wagon full of goodies, comes back to his Rebbe, says, I still haven't seen Elijah the prophet. He says, Sukkot is in four days, an eight day holiday, go bring them everything they need for Sukkot. He goes, and as he's coming up, he hears the children speak to the mother and says, mom, the holiday of Sukkot is coming. How are we going to celebrate? Where are we gonna get food and clothing from? So the mother looks at them and says, maybe Elijah the prophet who brought us goodies on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur will bring us something again for Sukkot. He right away quickly understood what his Rebbe was telling him that every single one of us has within ourselves an Elijah the prophet. But putting that aside, let's take a deeper look into this mysterious character. And let's look back into this week's Torah reading, and which is a sort of, sweet, sort of a bittersweet Torah reading. The Torah begins, first of all, we read this Torah reading in the three weeks always. It was read, it's going to be read in the land of Israel last week, but this coming week for us. But it's always in the three weeks of mourning of the, the destruction of the Holy Temple. But beyond that, as we know, and as we mentioned, that during, during these three weeks, being that they are a time of destruction of the Holy Temple, they are also an auspicious time for the rebuilding of the Holy Temple and awaiting the coming of Elijah, the prophet, who is going to tell us about this great redemption. So what, is it, what happens in this week's Torah reading is sort of a sequel of the last week's Torah reading, where last week the Jewish people were promiscuous with the women of the Moabite princesses. Because of that, 
they were seduced to serve the idolatry of the time, which was called the Baal Pa'or. And we find one episode where a leader of the tribe of Shimon, by the name of Zimri, who had an affair with a Moabite princess by the name of Cosby. Pinchas, seeing what happened, he steps up to the plate, kills the two, and because of that, a plague which ensued amongst the Jewish people ceased. This week, the Torah reading begins, and God tells us that Pinchas, because he was the one that brought about peace amongst the Jewish people, he was the one that took away God's wrath from amongst the Jewish people, and therefore he was gifted with two special gifts. Number one, he was given the covenant of peace, and number two, he was given the covenant of the priesthood. Let's start with the second one. The gift that was given to him was the covenant of the priesthood. The commentator Rachi explains to us that being that Pinchas was, so to speak, born after the deadline, meaning that his father was a Kohen, his grandfather was a Kohen, but he himself was not yet of age to be counted amongst the Kohanim, so he missed that, so to speak, that date. But because of this action that he did, he then merited that he should also be considered a Kohen, and he became a Kohen as well. The Evanezra, Rabbi Avram Evanezra, one of the great 11th century scholars, tells us that not only was a commentator on the Torah, tells us not only that he was a Kohen, but in fact, as the Torah uses the terminology, the priesthood of the covenant was given to him for eternity, that amongst most of the high priests that were later on to serve in the Holy Temple, many of them, as enumerated in the book of Chronicles and as well as in different places, we can see that many of them were from Pinchas's lineage, Pinchas's family. Most of them were from Pinchas's descendants as opposed to his brothers and cousins. How about the covenant of peace? So one of the commentators say that what does it mean the covenant of peace? Because Pinchas was now threatened by the people of Shimon because he killed their leader. He was also threatened by the Moabite people because he killed a Moabite princess. God gave him a promise that he will not be affected by these threats and he will be able to survive them all. However, over here, many of the commentators of the Talmudic commentators and the Medrash go even a step further and put it this way and say that the covenant of peace was given to him as follows. That the covenant of peace was given to Pinchas for eternity that he would become an angel and live for eternity. He would be the one to come and tell the Jewish people about the imminent redemption and the coming of Moshiach. The Yalkichimoni, which is a commentator and a Talmudic explanation and extrapolation on the Torah, tells us that Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish says, Pinchas is Elijah the prophet. God tells him, you made peace amongst the Jewish people by the fact that you stood up. And you brought about peace and stopped the plague amongst the Jewish people. You will bring a peace later on amongst the Jewish people by informing them and letting them know about the coming of Mashiach. Over here we see the promise that was given to Pinchas. That he was given the guarantee. The guarantee that he would be the one, A, that he wouldn't die. B, he would be for eternity. He would be victorious over death. And he would be coming to this eternal figure. And because he created and was able to soothe the anger of God and was able to bring about peace between God and the Jewish people, so too now he has a special soul that would be the one to eventually be like Elijah the prophet and talk about the greatness of the coming of Moshiach. 
We find even later on that as we look during the book of prophets and in the scriptures and as we look in the history of the Jewish people, there are many different common denominators or many different common themes that we find within the stories of Pinchas and Elijah the prophet that we see the similarities that they are the same person to the extent that they both appear and disappear throughout the hundreds of thousands of years of the history of the Jewish people. They also both are in a way of absolute strength and stand up in a time of need for the Jewish people. Just to give you a little example. Concerning Pinchas, where he almost is not mentioned after the story of Joshua using him as, a, uh, as an agent to go check out Jericho, we find him later on, 400 years later, when David conquers the city of Jerusalem, in the book of Chronicles, it mentions that there were people that settled in Jerusalem. And one of the people there are Pinchas, the son of Elazar, who was a leader amongst the Jewish people beforehand. What does it mean beforehand? That means he was a leader, but now he wasn't currently a leader. And in fact, many ask what happened to Pinchas that he was a high priest. Why didn't he stay being the high priest? And why was it given over to his children and grandchildren later on? And this Talmud tells us, and Rashi over there explains, a story that happened which Pinchas was, so to speak, had to step down from being the high priest. Which was an interesting story which takes us in the book of Judges, where Pinchas had a little encounter between Yiftach. Now the story is well known that in the time of Judges, there was a fellow by the name of Yiftach. We read the story two weeks ago in the Aftorah. Yiftach was an individual who came from a shady background, if you want to say the least, from a mafia mobster background. His family disliked him or disowned him, and therefore he went to hang out with the people who were less desirable. However, when it came time to fight against the people of Moab, he had to stay, they selected him, and he became then a judge amongst the Jewish people with some divine intuition. However, however what happened at the time, the, um, the people of... Uh, the people of Yiftach came along and, and before Yiftach went out to, to, before he went out to war, he made a promise. And his promise was that the first thing that walks out of his house, he is going to, um, he's going to bring as a sacrifice. Now that promise was inappropriate because how did he know what was going to come out of his house first? And unfortunately that promise came to bad results because when he came back and victorious from war, the first thing that walked out of his house to greet him was his own daughter. But he made a promise that he would bring her as a sacrifice. What would he do? And he sent his daughter away up to high mountains and she ultimately starved to death. And what happened that the Talmud asks, why couldn't he just annul his promise? Let him go to the Kohen, who was Pinchas at the time, and he would annul his promise. And over here, the Talmud tells us that there was a debate, or so to speak, a challenge between two egos that were not willing, or stubborn people that were not unwilling to let, the, let one go. Pinchas believed that because he was, so to speak, the king and the leader of the people, so therefore, I'm, uh, he was the Kohen Gadol, Yiftach should come to him to ask him to annul the promise. Yiftach said, I'm the leader of the Jewish people, I'm the one that led them into war, the high priest should come to me and annul my promise. And because they were so stubborn, who should come to whom? This unfortunate reality happened that Yiftach's daughter starved to death. Because of this tragic event, Yiftach was then demoted from his position as Kohen Gadol, and he was just made as a regular person and blended in with everybody else, and we didn't hear much about him, and so on. 
So some ask, so what was Yiftach doing all this time? And the Torah doesn't even tell us, and we don't find anywhere in the Book of Prophets that Yiftach or anything was a prophet, or if he was anything at the time, was he, we don't find that he died, we don't find anything of those natures. And the Ralbag, who's a commentator on the, on the prophets, explains to us and says, why do we even find other prophets? Why did the Vora have to become a prophet? Why did Samson have to become a prophet if Pinchas was around at the time? And the answer is because Pinchas did not act in his role of the high priest, and because he was, so to speak, demoted, he then went into, so to speak, undercover positions or undercover pro uh, projects, which therefore he was not needed to be a prophet in the revealed way because of his mysterious then role that he took on to lead in the Jewish people. Many years and months passed, and about 150 years passed, and all of a sudden the kingdom of Jerusalem is split, and the kingdom of the Jewish people is split. You have the Judaic principle, uh, the Judaic kingdom, and the Israeli and the Israel kingdom of the ten tribes. And there comes an individual who's a king amongst Israel, amongst the ten tribes, and he marries a wicked woman by the name Jezebel. This Jezebel was a terrible woman who was idolatrous. She would look to destroy all the prophets. And over here, um, Pincha, uh, Elijah the prophet, who was Pinchas, as we're going to see, decided that he's going to take her head on. And he's going to put a stop to her evil ways, of her idolatrous ways. And the first thing he does is he makes that there's a hunger amongst the land. He stops the heaven from giving grain for three years to the extent that he himself needed to get bread and to be able to sustain himself. And as we see in the prophets and we read it in the Torah of Kisisa, he challenges the Jewish people to the time of bringing them to Mount Carmel and says, show me, prove to me that the Baal is the one, the prophets of the Baal, which was the idolatry. He is able to disprove them and he kills many of the prophets of the Baal, taking on Jezebel, head on showing that her idolatrous ways are impossible and wrong. What even happens as most after that story? Eventually we see the story of Elijah the prophet with his student Elisha as they continue and Elijah the prophet goes up to heaven with a chariot as his student Elisha watches his master, his teacher Elijah go up into heaven. What we see from this mysterious story that is brought in the prophets, that Elijah the prophet did not die. Elijah the prophet went up to heaven in this vehicle, so to speak, in this chariot, while Moses died on Mount Nebo, while Aaron died on Horahor, Elijah the prophet in his body went up to heaven. And from here our prophets tell us that Elijah the prophet is going to come and tell us that he, that Mashiach is going to come. And we know that he's going to come and tell us an alive individual. And therefore, he is going to be the prophet to inform us about the special occasion. In fact, the prophets continue, the Talmud continues to tell us that Tishbi, the word Tishbi, why Elijah is called Tishbi? Because it comes from the word Tashev. He's going to return and going to refute or answer all these different uh, questions that we may have on the Talmud or throughout history or about Judaism. It is for that reason that we continuously talk about the revelation of Elijah the prophet to people. Through whether it was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, where they all asked him questions, difficulties that they may have had with God, with Torah, with the different questions. Why were they able to ask him? Because he was still identified as a person in the body. So what's going on over here? So we see number one uh, common 
theme with Pinchas and Elijah is their mysterious weaning in and weaning out. We find them revealed, we find them here, we find them not there. We find them alive, we find them, so to speak, in a spiritual type of mysterious fellow. Another common thread or theme we find between Pinchas and Elijah is their concept of zealousness. Their concept of being ready to stand up regardless of what happens. In this week's Torah reading, we talk about uh, Pinchas. He stood up against Cosby and Zimri, his zealousness at the time. Elijah the prophet, like we spoke about, stood up to Jezebel in his zealousness to stand up and say, I am ready to stand up for what's going on, to take on the challenge of those people who try to stand up in the way of God. Even if it meant that she wanted to kill him, he went and hid in a place that a bird had to feed him and all the different things. Why? Because he was willing to risk his life for what was right. We see the zealousness that existed by Elijah the prophet and by Pinchas. And after all that we spoke about, now that we have the background of these individuals, of Pinchas and Elijah the prophet, we are back to our question, who is this Elijah the prophet? Is he a human being? Is he alive amongst us that lived for thousands of years? Is he an angel? Is it just a spirit? And secondly, even more importantly, is why Elijah the prophet or why Pinchas was the one to merit to such great stature? While Moshe, Aaron, who were the ones that taught Torah to all the Jewish people, went up on Mount Sinai. Why weren't they the one to be able to live for eternity? And even if you want to say it was the reason because Pinchas brought peace and stopped the plague, Moshe and Aaron also brought peace. They also did a lot of good stuff. So let's start with the first question. What is Elijah? Is he a person or is he an angel? And the answer that the probably best gives it is that Elijah the prophet is a hybrid. He is like an angel, but he's also like a human being. And we find many different times in the Talmud which talks about conflicting ideas in telling us who Elijah the prophet is. That at one point we can see that he's a person who enclothes himself and is limited to the capacity of a human being. But on the other hand, we see that he has the ability to be all over. Give you a little example. After Shabbat, many have a custom to sing the song, Eliyahu Hanavi. Why do they have that custom to sing the song? And the Talmud says, because Moshiach, Elijah the prophet, can't come on Shabbos. Why can't he come on Shabbos? Because Elijah the prophet is a law on Shabbos. He's not allowed to walk out of your city limits more than 2,000 amos. And being that Elijah the prophet is a human being, so therefore he's not allowed to walk more than 2,000 amos to come and inform us about the coming of Mashiach. But after, but on the other hand, if Elijah the prophet is an angel, then he could come on Shabbat. And because of this doubt, but we know on Sh after Shabbat, there's no doubts anymore. He can come any way he wants. So therefore, after Shabbat, we say, Elijah the prophet can now for sure come. On the other hand, the Talmud tells us another story where uh, Rabbi Baravua, a Talmudic figure, meets Elijah the prophet in a non-Jewish cemetery. And he asks Elijah the prophet, what are you doing here? Aren't you a Kohen? Because if Elijah is Pinchas, and Pinchas is the son of a Lazar, then he's a Kohen. And if he's a Kohen, he's not allowed to be in a cemetery. Because he can't become impure. 
So Elijah the prophet tells him, Rabbi Baravu, have you not studied the tractate of Tarot, which talks about the laws of impurity, that a, that a Gentile doesn't make somebody impure, so therefore I'm allowed to be in the cemetery. So we see over here that Elijah the prophet, so to speak, agrees with the fact that he shouldn't be in a cemetery because he's a human being. If he's an angel, why well, does he become impure? But on the other hand, we see that Elijah the prophet comes to every Seder table, in Australia, in America, in Timbuktu, in every single place in the world at the same time. If he's a person, how can he be in every place at the same time? He's at every circumcision. How can he be at every place at the same time if he's a person? So he must have a little bit of both. One of the great commentators of the last of the 18th century by the name of the Hassam Sofer, Rabbi Moshe Sofer, puts it this way. He says, when Elijah the prophet went up to heaven, his soul went up to heaven. But his body was not buried in the ground, but stayed within the realms of physicality. And for that reason, he was liable that he could become impure in a cemetery. But at the same time, he could be everywhere in different places. According to this, we can understand that, so to speak, Elijah the prophet is this hybrid where his soul is on high. He can be in many places at once. But he can also be enclosed in a body and he has limitations of a body that he could be in certain places at certain time in the physical realm of a body as well. However, with all this, our question even becomes stronger. Our second question. Why Pinchas, out of all people, merited to this great hybrid level that he is able to be a body and a soul all at the same time? Why was Pinchas be the one to become Elijah the prophet? Why was he the one to merit such a great stature and not Moshe, not Aaron? There was other great people just as great as him, maybe even greater. And by understanding the unique challenge that Pinchas had, we come to understand within ourselves a better and greater appreciation. And here we have it. Which is Pinchas is something unique than everybody else. Because Pinchas symbolizes the quintessence of the Jewish soul. Pinchas symbolizes what it means to encapsulate and to bring together the Jewish person, the Torah, and God, intertwined, all in one, inseparable. And because of that, Pinchas encapsulates and is what it means, the ultimate redemption. Because Pinchas was a person that he was willing to sacrifice himself, put his life on the line to be able to bring those three together and to show the unique tie of them. And with that, Pinchas had the ability to also show what Jewish law is. And because of that, he is going to be the one to answer the questions that we all have on Jewish law. What does this mean? You know, many great people did great things. Moses did great things. He taught the Torah to the Jewish people. But that was his job. That's what God appointed him for. Aaron did great things. He was the high priest. He also taught Torah to the Jewish people. But that was within his comfort zone. That's what who he was given it for. Pinchas was something unique. Pinchas went out of his comfort zone. Pinchas had all to lose, nothing to gain, and he put his life on his line just for it. What did Pinchas do? The Torah tells us that the Jewish law is that if a person 
is desecrating God's name in public, any person who feels that this is a desecration has the right to do so to speak, and they call an English citizen's arrest, take the matters into their own hand and deal with it as it should need be. Over here, Pinchas, when he attacked Zimri, when he killed this Midianite, this Moabite princess and the leader of the tribe of Shimon, nobody was there, nobody could believe that he was doing it for the right reason. Why? Because in order for you to be able to take a matter into your own hand and say, this is a desecration of God's name, I'm going to take the matter into my own hand and I'm going to kill this individual. You have to be able to prove or you have to be able to know that you don't have anything against that person and you're not using this as a reason to be able to kill them. You don't have any preconceived or premeditated ambitions to be able to kill this person. It has to be just for the sake of heaven. Now think of the scenario there. Moshe's there. Aaron's there. All the great leaders of the Jewish people are standing there. Elazar's there. And who's the one that steps up to the plate to be able to kill this fellow? Pinchas. Who are you? A young whippersnapper stands up. He's a young kid. If Moshe didn't get involved, Elazar didn't get involved, what are you getting involved for? Not only that, who was Pinchas's, where was his lineage? His mother was the daughter of Jethro. Remember who Jethro was? Served the idolatry. Here his grandfather was an idolatrist himself. And you're coming along and you're killing another person for idolatry? Who are you? You are a tainted individual yourself, they could have argued. And in fact, people did. And therefore, nobody would ever believe that over here, a grandchild of a person who served idols should over here think and believe that he understands godliness more than Moses. On the contrary, people will see this guy has an ulterior motive. He had all the reasons, Pinchas, to stand back and not get involved. He had all the reasons to say, why should I get involved? This is only going to hurt my reputation. It's only going to bother me. Uh, there's other people to deal with it. Why should I do it? But Pinchas was zealous. Pinchas said, I see a desecration of the Torah. I see a desecration of God's name. It doesn't make a difference. I'm going to stand up for what is right. He said, life cannot go on as the way it is right now. We need to change the reality. I, there's Moshe standing here. I, there's other people around. It doesn't matter. And at that moment, at that exact moment, when Pinchas said, I'm going to stand up for what is right, all of a sudden, he implanted, he created an irreversible bond. He created and he brought to fruition the quintessence of the soul of the Jew that connects all three, the Torah, God and the Jewish people. He brought about and he showed the eternity of the Jewish people. He showed that when a Jew really cares and a Jew really hurts in what is happening, he could stand up for what is right. And he's willing to stand up and even risk his life for what is right. This is what is telling us that Pinchas is an individual that will be the one to be able to answer the questions of the Torah is because Pinchas said, listen here, hasn't our teacher taught us, he told Moshe, didn't you teach us that if a person does something which is perversion of the Jewish law, which is obstruction of Jewish law, anybody has the right to stop him and Moshe told him, you read the letter, you go do the law. And because he was the one that brought that law 
to fruition, he is the one that's going to be able to bring to fruition all these laws. While Moshe, Allah's are all doing their job. Pinchas stood out of his comfort zone, recognized to be able to stand about and say, we need to do something to save the perpetuation of Judaism, to save the Jewish continuity. We need to be able to stand on the forefront regardless of the flack that we may get for it, regardless of what may happen to me because of it. And because he was willing to risk his life and put his life on the line and just for the sake of Torah, God and Judaism, he was blessed with that eternal blessing. That's one way of looking at it. But now we come to the Hasidic Chabad analyzation of looking at it and taking it even a step further. When we talk about the difference between life and death, what's the cause of death and why did death come about? Death is a cessation between the soul and the body. Life is a unification of a soul and a body. The only reason why today people die is because Adam and Eve sinned with the tree of knowledge, where they brought evil and impurity into this world. They gave an ego to the body, and therefore the body has self, selfish desires, which are in contradiction to the soul's desires. And because of that, there has to be a cessation of life, which then the body and soul are able to go on into its own ways. What was Pinchas on the other hand? who is Elijah the prophet, they are an individual. It is one individual who was able to overcome the issue of death. They were able to be victorious over death. They in fact corrected the cause of death, which was made by the sin of the tree of knowledge. And because of that, death did not fall upon them as well. What are one of the most unique uh, challenges that we talk about Elijah the prophet in life? was that Elijah the prophet at the end of his life in this world went up to heaven as a body. He came standing in front of God with his complete physical body. Why? Because his soul and body are one. In contrast to Moses, who was buried in the ground on the mountain of O. What was the difference? Because there are two types of people in the way they serve God. And there are two ways of serving God, even in the greatest caliber. There are great people who can serve God and bring their soul to the highest level. Where their soul can leave their body. Like Nadav and Avion, Aaron, Moshe. Take for example Moshe. Moshe was a person who God spoke to him. He went onto the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he did not have to eat or drink. Why? Because his soul left his body. But his body did not become refined. His body was not changed. His soul was elevated to the greatest of heights, but his body was left behind. He didn't change his body, meaning he didn't work with his body to transform it into a vehicle of absolute spirituality. Then there are Jews who are able to worship God to a level that they make their body a vehicle of godliness. They make their body a soul as well. That their body becomes not a physical matter, but a spiritual matter. The same way that somebody who takes care of their body, eats healthy food, makes sure that they exercise, whatever it may be, and creates a healthy body, so too we have to take care of our soul. We have to nourish it and take care of it. And if we take care of our soul well enough that it also includes the body, the body now becomes, instead of being selfish, becomes selfless and becomes a conduit 
and becomes part of the soul as well. If you think about it, what happened when it came to the sin of the tree of knowledge? What was the problem that happened by the sin of the tree of knowledge? If you recall before the sin of the tree of knowledge, Adam and Eve were able to walk around naked and did not get embarrassed and not realize. Because their body was not egotistic, their body was not of a focus. Their body was not something who took up place, it wasn't something of significance. Their body was something which was absolutely nullified and secondary to their soul. And therefore, before the sin of the tree of knowledge, there wasn't the concept of the cessation of life. Only after the sin of the tree of knowledge, where they gave significance and they gave ego and they gave something of value to the body, the body then started having demands. The body started being significant to the extent of being selfish on its own. Then came the issue of the cessation of life, where the body and soul have to part ways, where the body is put into the ground while the soul goes up to heaven. The very fact that there were those that have the ability, that they are able to cultivate their body to the extent that their body becomes a soul as well, that is the level of Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet was an individual who was able to take that his body became just as important as his soul. Pinchas was that individual who started it. Pinchas was able to take every single facet of his body and to protect on the word of God. There was nothing in Pinchas's life that was about himself. He was amongst the Jewish people. He was in a place where everybody else was like him, so to speak. But his interest was not his body. He could have been killed. His interest was his soul. His interest was protecting God, the Torah, and the Jewish people. And because of that, Pinchas is Elijah the prophet. He was able to bring his body to a level which is beyond death. Because his body was beyond the cessation of life. His body also became that vehicle of life. Think about it. He brought about his body to a, to a, to a state where it was before even the sin of the tree of knowledge. He brought about his body to a state where it had no ego for itself, it had no self-desires. And because, the, because of that, he was able to extend and his life was for eternity. This is what we talk about, the existential difference between Moshe and Pinchas. While Pinchas was an individual who looked to change his body, his soul permeated his body to the extent that it became one with his soul. Look at Moshe when Moshe was born. It says when Moshe was born, the entire home became full of light. The home became full of light. But did that change his body? Did he become a different person because of it? His body still had the egotism. His body still had some bodily functions and desires, which were in contrast to what the soul's desires were. So therefore, when Moshe wanted to cleave to God, his soul had to leave his body, go up on the mountain and have nothing to do with the food and drink in this world. While Pinchas was able to energize his body and give it that excitement of the soul and utilize it and make it part of his soul. It is for that reason that Mashiach's Mashiach's coming will be first come with Elios and Elijah the prophets informing us about Mashiach's coming. Because what is the concept of Mashiach? When the entire world becomes a spiritual conduit of godliness. Where our bodies will become conduits for godliness. Death will be seized forever and for, and for eternity. There will be a cessation of death forever because life as we know it will be absolutely spiritual. Exactly what Elijah the prophet was all this time. 
This is a mission of every single one of us. Mashiach is able to come and we are about to come every single moment. At every single moment, we have to await the coming of Mashiach, even right now, even in a time where we think that Mashiach can come. Mashiach can still come. Mashiach's ability, every single one of us is awaiting the imminent arrival of Mashiach at any moment. And Elijah the prophet is announcing at every moment that Mashiach is about to come, he is reminding us. Why? Because by Elijah the prophet, Mashiach has already come. He's waiting for us to realize to understand and appreciate that in our own way, to make our soul priority over the physical needs of our body. And hopefully when we work in cultivating our soul, to be able to have dominion over our body, in a small little way, in our own way, to recognize when we go to work, that it is only a merely a vessel to bring about God's blessing in our life. That when we eat, we make a blessing before the food because the eating and drinking is only a tool to be able to help the soul appreciate spirituality. When we live our life being soul-focused instead of body-focused, we then bring about that time of Elijah the prophet who is absolutely soul-focused. In the time of the coming of Moshiach, may it be now. Amen.